Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the No Fluff Actionable Marketing Podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to build a successful content marketing program without silver bullets or shitty growth hacks. My guest today is the director of content at Intercom. You probably have heard of this company before, their customer messaging platform. My guest is a former journalist and editor. Uh, Intercom is now eight years old, almost nine years old pretty soon. They have like 30,000 plus paying customers globally. I mean, they've raised a ton of funding. They have offices everywhere. And what's really interesting about my guest is that, as I said, he's a former journalist, editor. He has more than 20 years experience covering tech, business. He's been mentioned in a lot of uh, publication and he now leads the team who produce Intercom's blog, podcast, books, social media, etc., etc. So super happy to have you, John Collins, on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Louis. Delighted to be here. I was listening to that intro going, who is this uh, smart, clever guy who's going to be on? <laughs> so I don't recognize him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, as I was saying just before we started to record this episode, I've seen your face popped up a lot online, you know, and that's probably testament to the good work you've been putting as Intercom, but also as you. I think you've led the way in a few ways in terms of content marketing in the recent years. And it's, yeah, it's good to have you on the show. So everyone's talking about content marketing nowadays, right? Everyone, mm -hmm. every single company seems to say we need to do content. And frankly, yeah. you know, from my side who, who follows marketing a lot and talk to people a lot, it, it feels almost like very redundant and it feels almost like why don't, why are we waking up just now or in the last few years about the power of content while the smartest companies in the world seem to have done that for almost ever. Um, so I want to hear more from you. Like, why do you feel companies just are kind of slowly waking up to the power of actually helping people through content? Yeah, it's interesting when you said, you know, companies are waking up to doing content and actually that always kind of worries me. And I think it's a bit of a tell when, you know, people contact me and uh, like they want to come and pick pick my brains or the team's brains about how we've achieved what we've achieved with content marketing and intercom because they'll say we want to do content it's almost this idea of they want to check a box they want to tick a box if someone comes to me and says we want to invest in content we want to build a content team i'm like all ears but when people say they want to do content i'm also a little bit suspicious because i really think you know it indicates this attitude of well we just tick the box like you know hey hubspot did it you know it, it worked for them it can work for us I mean, I was quite lucky at, at Intercom when I joined Intercom. The company was nearly two and a half years old. And and two of the founders, Owen, uh, the CEO, and Des Trainer, the uh, chief strategy officer, really, really had that vision and, and belief in what content could do for the company. And Des didn't just sort of have that belief, but he actually, you know, <laughs> he walked the walk as well as talked the talk because he actually wrote the first 93 of 100 blog posts on the Intercom blog before I arrived on the scene. And I think that's what you need. You need a, a client or a company, if you're going to go in-house, or you know, who really is going to invest in content. And it's tough and it's not glamorous work. And I think that's probably why we hear a lot, you know, a lot of people talking about content, but you know, to actually embrace it fully, more than maybe to sort of like, you know, launch a blog and it runs for like, you know, six or eight weeks and they run out of ideas or you know, like we see lots of failed experiments, but like the, the problem with content is it's it's a big investment. You you know, you have to invest in people and their time. It doesn't, you know, deliver benefits straight away. It's not like just turning on a, a campaign on you know Google Display Network or something. But the great thing about it is it's slower to start, but it pays off in dividends. You know, if we stopped publishing on the Intercom blog today, you know, we would still get 80% of the traffic, you know, in a quarter's time because... It, you know, people are still going to find that through search. We could still, you know, promote that stuff through social. It's still there to be browsed on our, our, our blog. And, uh, you know, assuming you're, you're creating the right kind of content, it, it'll pay off in spades for a long, long time. Right. And before going to this, you know, step by step and how to do that in your company, mm -hmm. let's take a step back and, and try to understand from your perspective, why is content marketing such a fundamental element of marketing nowadays? Even though, as I said before, like a company from my hometown, actually, Michelin, Michelin, the tires, you know, mm -hmm. did yep. some form of <laughs> content marketing more, more than a hundred uh, years ago with their, with their Michelin guide. Why is it such a fundamental element of today's marketing? I think it's a, it's a, a reflection of maybe the, the broader media landscape that, you know, there's some great, like, you know, tier one media out there, uh, you know, like the New York times and the Washington posts and whoever of the, of the, of this world. But like, 
there's very few, you know, there used to be really strong, for every industry and every sector, there used to be a really strong trade press, which was actually, you know, properly reporting and writing quality content. And that's that's largely gone now. And, you know, people can actually create their own content online and share it. And, and, and the companies are successful at it. It's not promotional content. It's not PR. They're not just talking about themselves. They're like, you know, entering into discussions in their industry or, you know, debates. And that's that's all the stuff I think that a, a trade press and uh, would have would have served in the past. And I think it's driven, you know, I suppose then as well, the, the whole inbound model uh, that, that's been so successful for so many companies. It definitely feels like something that you can, you know, you literally, if you're a startup, you know, day one, you can, you can start a blog, you can start a podcast. You know, it's something that everyone can do. Everyone can write. And that's kind of dangerous as well. I mean, we, we can get into that as well. But, you know, everyone can put words down. And so I think people feel like, oh, I can, we can totally do this. The issue, of course, then becomes one of, of quality that everyone can create some kind of blog or some kind of publication or some kind of podcast, but can they do it well? And, and will what they do actually stand out and be heard? That, that's a real challenge. So there's a lower barrier of entry, right? I mean, anyone, as you said, yeah. can write. It seemed, I don't know if it's the consequence or the cause, but as you say, trade press and all of that are almost nowhere to be seen. I mean, in terms of tech and startup and whatnot, we, yeah. we don't see that happening. So companies have, have kind of filled the gap and the internet as well gave, started to give the power to, to companies and individuals to, to be able to publish stuff themselves. And you don't have to be a journalist to actually publish content and be seen by people, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, putting out a whole layer of, uh, of middlemen who you know, may not understand your your industry as well as, as you do you know I think you know I think it's it's this, this direct connection that you can have with readers or, or you know with, with listeners and uh, that, that's really really attractive I mean for for us at intercom it's it's been one of the great ways to really sort of get to know uh, our customers and like what resonates with them and what problems they're they're struggling with and then like what jobs intercom can help them solve with i mean content has been a part of that and events and getting out and meeting customers has been a big part of that from the early days it was kind of like as we say it was it was the kind of marketing we were doing before anyone actually had marketing in their job title we, we were doing content marketing so you said something super interesting a few minutes ago that i want to come back to and i suspect this could be probably step one of the methodology you're going to lay out for us uh, in the next few minutes mm -hmm. talked about mindset you know the mindset of the founders the mindset of the people at the very start of the company who, who knew that they wanted to, to, to help people out there with good content, you know, whether it's like blog articles and whatever. I'm curious, do you feel the first step towards building a successful like content program in your company to build and invest in it? Do you feel like this is a must to actually have the top, you know, the leadership in your company to believe in content in the first place? I think it, it makes a massive, massive difference. And I, I, I would struggle personally to run a content operation at a, at a company that didn't have that because, you know, one of the things I always caution against is, you know, you see a lot of a lot of companies and they kind of look at content the way people like would have looked at a company newsletter in that it's almost like, hey, let's not do anything too controversial. Let's not rock the boat. Like the CEO is going to like sign off on content, even though he probably isn't creating the content. It's that classic sort of, you know, play it safe model and not really understanding, I think, what what you can get from content and how actually, you know, being opinionated and, and sort of, you know, getting your opinions out into the world is is a great way to grab attention when you're when you're a small company. And I think something else like that, that the founders at Intercom, uh, Owen and Des and, and, and Kieran and, and Davis really felt was that actually blogging and, and writing things down was a great way for them to sort of like just synthesize what they'd learned. It was a really great way to sort of process like, hey, you know, we've gone through this big project and like we learned this thing. But then actually sitting down to write a blog post about it, for instance, was just a really, really great way to go, oh, like that's actually what we learned and that's what we can repeat and that's what we can do next. And I think it's that kind of content that's really resonated, uh, certainly in the early days at Intercom because, you know, we were selling our product to a lot of startup folks and the guys were being very open about the things they had learned as startup founders. Yeah, and uh, something I wanted to kind of challenge you on a bit, because that might not be a case for every company, every, everyone listening to this podcast, is that you had the benefit from the start to be able to share your learning as a startup, and yet you're also selling to startups, right? So the stuff you were learning, even though it wasn't directly related to the product, were still relevant to the market you were trying to attract. Are there scenarios where, before we go into this kind of step-by-step -step together, is there a scenario where you would see that not happening and you sharing as a company your learnings that wouldn't be relevant to the market you're trying to attract? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, there's there's obviously cases where content is not just going to be a good good marketing strategy. You know, if you make like, uh, you know, widgets or whatever, which are like pretty undifferentiated, you know, it's all about price. You know, that's your marketing is, is you're going to compete on, on, on pricing and, and writing about like how you build your widgets or how your widgets are like much better quality than the competitions is probably not going to move the needle for you. And uh, so I think, you know, it really does depend on the sector. But equally, I, w- I would say that, you know, Everyone is an expert. Like on some, if you've set up a company and you're selling a product or a service, you know you you have some knowledge that like you you are sharing with your customers. You like, you know, even if you're that classic startup where you're just like you've identified a problem and you're learning yourself about like how to solve that problem and what you can contribute. Like just having the balls to like open openly share that and you know get it out and get a discussion going. That that's huge in itself. Even if you're just willing to actually like you know write about that, you know talk about it on air in a podcast. That will be huge, and it'll be. I think it's just a great opportunity to sort of engage your customers and actually get, like, even look at it as as customer research. So let's talk about how to set up a successful content program, right? And as you mentioned mm-hmm. before, a few minutes ago, folks would reach out to you and ask those questions. So you are aware yeah. and you know, you know how to answer this question because you probably get that question quite a lot. So first, let's lay the foundation. You started to talk about this. Yeah. In what situation do you feel from your experience, content marketing, uh, how can it be a good investment? In what situation is it a good investment to potentially put uh, money towards? And in what situation is it not? Listen, you know, as I say, if you feel and you know that like having having some opinions or sharing some knowledge with your with your customers is going to resonate with them and i think like definitely the b2b space is great for that kind of deeper sort of like standard kind of almost blog playbook where you're going that's the kind of content you're going to create and like maybe that blog is nowadays a podcast because like you know i definitely think we're we've passed peak blog you know people like to listen to podcasts because they can listen to them anywhere uh you can't always read a, a longer blog post uh, so I think that's that's a, a, a massive scenario that you know says to you, yes, this is going to be worth investing in. I think in B two C, there's probably there's definitely content, but it's 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 maybe a, a different kind of content. You, you know, B two C massive investment in in Instagram these days. You know, if you don't have like a a, a cool Instagram account as a B two C brand, you're pretty dead in the water. As I say, I think it's really just those more undifferentiated products that like maybe where you're just purely talking about price, and you know, no one really cares about how it's built or like there's no real real story around it. I think that's where you're like, you know, right. you're in a challenge and forget about content marketing, really. Let's take the example of uh, like a, a B2B company that have, mm-hmm. you know, tried before maybe to do content, as you said, they realized they didn't take it yeah. uh, the right way. Uh, but this time they won't invest in it for the long term. They understand that the power it can have long term. What do you advise them to do step by step? And if you want to ask me a like, question about this fictional example, like to, to mm-hmm. have it more narrow so you can find better answer, let me know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I think like, first off, I say, you know, there isn't, there is no sort of silver bullets or quick hacks. I, I Googled it once, you know, content marketing hacks, like, you know, 56 million results or something. Like, I think on one hand, you know, you look at brands like Tesla or, I don't know, like even Patagonia in the consumer space, um, even like House, you know, the, the brand who like look after sort of interior design products and, and, and furnishings for your home and stuff. Like, go to their their homepages and like tesla it's like the car is there but actually it's almost this lifestyle it's selling these beautiful beautiful high-end images of like you know californian homes you know go to patagonia their homepage you'll see like these amazing pictures from the 60s about their with one of their founders you know who's like a famous climber who created his own he's written a book and you know he, he he created patagonia to solve his own problems and then even like something like house it's just these beautiful images of houses and like the whole thing is product placement. You can you can see you can click through and like find out who who the you know, interior designer is or what the products are. And then you know, and particularly in the B two B space, you Google content marketing hacks, and you literally have you know, in comparison to all this beautiful content that's competing for our attention, you have these literally shitty hacks of like how you're going to drive you know how you're going to drive traffic. You know, to talk about things like skyscraper methods of like, you know, just being, you know, 2% better than your, your com- competitors. Like, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's really very kind of like snake oil salesman kind of stuff. Why don't you like, sorry to interrupt, but I'm, I'm curious now, why yeah. don't you like the sky, skyscraper technique from Brian Dean, for example? 
Well, I think it's it's been done to death. I would think like Google algorithm is is sophisticated enough now that like for most competitive keywords, you're you're not. It's not really going to work. I mean, you're literally just trying to be about like a minimum of one percent better than than your competitor's article. I'd suggest that like you know the effort that you put into that. Why don't you just come up with something that actually blows your blows your competition out of the water full stop? I think particularly SEO driven content, it's just it's more competitive. I think Google's getting more sophisticated. And so I would actually say that like look around you and look at the stuff that you engage with and that like you know, I'm a big believer in that like marketing is not just data. It's it's about like, you know, creating some kind of emotion, some kind of feeling in people, even even for B2B products. Like we talk, we talk at Intercom and our marketing team about how, like, you know, is there a spark in what we're doing in like any particular campaign or piece of content we're producing? Um, and I think it's it's really, really important to look around, see that stuff that you do resonate with, those brands I mentioned, and go, hey, you know, I'm like, even if I'm creating B2B content, I should I should be focusing on the quality content, not the, not the hacks. Like I think people are overly focusing when it comes to content marketing on the marketing piece. And there's very little about how do you create good content? And you have to create good content. Like the dirty, guilty secret of content marketing is there are all these consultants out there who come along, create blogs and other like properties for, for, for companies, set them up for them. And like they don't perform. They they get very minimal traffic. But, you know, they've done the thing. They've set up the thing and they get paid and off they go. But like if you want your content to be consumed, to stand out, you've got to start with like create, creating the highest quality content you can first and don't start with the hacks. Yeah, I, I concur uh, with that. Now, I know my listeners by heart. You know, that's probably one of the things about marketing. You need to know your people quite a lot. And I, yeah. I'm lucky enough to have a lot of good listeners who contact me, give me feedback. I know that at this stage when you said, you know, you just need to create good content that blow uh, yeah. the competition out of the water. They are asking, how the fuck are you supposed to do that? Like, how do you do it? How do you notice whether there's a spark in your content? So let's go through that now, like in detail. How do you advise folks to do this? Like, you know, they're in front of their computer. They're probably listening to this on, on their way to on their way home or in the gym. And they say, yeah, that's all well and good. I completely get you, John. I'm going to do the same. But where do I start? Yeah. You know, I have this empty page in front of me. Sure. I mean, there's there's several uh, sort of tips I would give to people. Uh, like, first off, really simple one. Like, what are the three most controversial things you believe about your sector, or your industry? What are the, like, what are the three things you believe that like other people don't in your industry? Like, and presumably, uh, particularly, I think for startups, that tends to be like why people actually decided, you know, what I'm going to do this. I'm going to set set up this company. If you can figure out like what those views are, like what those things are that make you stand out from the crowd, like start to write about them, start to discuss them, because that's what people people are interested in. Like there is too much safe content out there that is, you know, everyone else in the industry, no one disagrees with it. Uh, if it, if no one disagrees with it, it's it, you shouldn't you shouldn't write about it. I mean, you at, at the very least just move on the debate in your industry, even just a small piece, you know. But that that small piece should be like what you what what's unique and what you're you're bringing to the table. The other thing I would say is, you know, very much think about like writing for humans, you know, brainstorm a bunch of ideas on a whiteboard. Absolutely. But like humans are going to buy your product at the end of the day, not the algorithms. You know, the algorithms will deliver a certain amount of traffic to you. But I think if you like think about like, is this an article that I would want to read? Is this an article that like, you know, my partner would want to read or potential customer, you know, actually have real humans in mind when you're creating content, I think is huge if you're going to go down this route of trying to create quality content first. I think you can, you can add SEO at a you know later point, but if you start off with SEO, I don't think you're going to, you're not going to create quality content. You're going to create, I call it happy meal content. <laughs> it's uh, looks, looks good. You think it's going to be really satisfying, but 15 minutes after you consume it, you're hungry again. You're hungry again. And, and yeah, there might be an accident happening along the way as well. So yeah, <laughs> I don't digest happy meals very well. So I stopped going there. So let's, let's go to step one, right? So you have to figure yeah. out the two to three things that you believe that most people don't, right? Now, mm -hmm. let's say you are a content marketer in, hired in the company. You're not a founder. Or let's say you are a content uh, marketing freelancer, you're a copywriter. How yep. do you figure that out? Like, do you, so do you interview the CEO to, to extract that from them? How do you like to figure out the things that actually make them stand out that most people would disagree with? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I do. Like go and talk to people around the company. If you're coming in, uh, whether it's like founder, the CEO, 
you know, the people actually building the product, like then, yeah, get out and, and actually meet some people who are customers. Whether like I found trade shows were amazing. I used to like stand on, you know, be on the intercom stand when it, like, you know, at big conferences like Web Summit when during the first year I was there. And it was really just a great way to, to, to meet and eyeball customers. We still have a thing called customer day at intercom where you literally get into the inbox. Like we use intercom, obviously drone intercom and we have a customer support product. You get into the inbox and start answering customer support. Like you see what kind of customer support questions are coming in and you, you get to answer some of the, the easier ones. Back in the day, I actually was, you know, I, I was on the customer success team at Intercom when I joined first because uh, Des ran that team and I needed to report to him. So I used to regularly be in the inbox answering uh, customers questions. And that was an amazing way to go, oh, this is who are, these are who our people are. Um and I think once you then know who the, those readers are, it you can do so much more, and you can you can really start to think about like what kind of things are going to, going to resonate with them. You know, this is such a simple advice, yet you and me, we we both know that this is very rare to to hear. You know, marketers, content marketers, people in general, you know, actually yeah. go out of their way to talk to to their customers, to meet their customer face to face, to talk to their CEO, even to understand the story of the company. It's rare because it's we are a bit safe, I think, as as marketers nowadays. We sit behind Google Analytics every day. We look at our SEO tool and we feel we understand our audience. While actually, we don't, right? And I have plenty of example in like in my experience where yeah. we thought. A specific keyword with a very low volume, no one we searched for, so we, we didn't read really write about it. And then realized after talking to customer ourselves that actually everyone is mentioning this fucking thing, yet it doesn't seem like there's any volume for it. And we wrote about it and we got, you know, a lot of traffic. Very much like this podcast, you know, if I had a look at SEO stuff around marketing, marketing podcasts, I wouldn't have found any evidence that someone, people wanted a marketing podcast with all the bullshit. You know, yeah. But well, yet, that, I think it's it, it's really important to be. You really have to be thoughtful about what metrics you're going to measure uh, content with. You know, like I think that, that really speaks to that point. You know, because if you can't, like, you know, certainly in the early days of content program, you should just be able to see it's working. You should just, if you have to go and dive into the metrics. If I had, we had to go and dive into the metrics in the first year at Intercom when I when I take, taken over the content program, there was something wrong. Because it, it should just be blatantly obvious that it's it's heading in the right direction. It shouldn't it shouldn't have to be like oh we're like ranking you know number one for you know uh, these keywords on you know uh, the, that show high intent for our software. I think obviously as you build it out and as you are you know develop that muscle of creating quality content, you can start to think about those very specific metrics and areas you want to grow in. And like for instance. It, it's only maybe like in the last 18 months that we've really got focused on SEO and thought about like, how do we really, really harness SEO? Even though, you know, I've been in come for nearly six years at this stage. So, you know, early on, it was really about just building that muscle of, of learning how to create quality content. And, you know, as I, you said, like content marketers or marketers generally can be a little bit conservative and kind of sit in their own bubble and maybe aren't going to interviewing the, the CEO or the people. Like our whole thing was we, Nobody really cares, like much as you say, everyone hates marketers. No one cares what marketers think. That's that's our, our big belief. Like they don't want to hear from the content team at Intercom. They want to hear from the subject matter experts. So if we are writing about design, there will be a designer's byline on there. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that designer sat down and wrote 1,200 words, but they certainly worked with my team to come up with 1,200 words that they were happy putting their, their name to. So that might mean, you know, we end up interviewing that person and ghostwriting it for them. It might mean that we sit there with a whiteboard and like literally, you know, come up with an outline for an article and then they go off and draft it. It depends. You know, some people are great writers. Some people are just like really, really good subject matter experts who have great ideas, but they're not necessarily uh, great writers of sharing them. But, you know, as I say, get the subject matter experts because no one, no one really cares what marketers think. It's, it's much better off. Get out of your own bubble and, and, and get their opinions onto your, onto, into your content. Yeah. And it's tough for marketers to hear, but no one gives a shit about us. You know, uh, they care about no. themselves. They care about the problem they want to solve. And, and they certainly care about listening from all their peers who suffer from the same problem or whatnot, but they don't really care about the, the opinion of a marketer yeah. about design and that kind of stuff. If you're selling a content marketing product to your quids right. in, you know, they want to hear about it. <laughs> but otherwise, <laughs> yeah, yeah. zip. <laughs> so let's go back to the first step, right? Which is about yeah. finding out those three things, you know, that are controversial, that, that your company yeah. agree with, that most people would disagree with. Just give me, quickly, give me the example of Intercom. What, are, what is the one thing that you, that you believe that most people don't? 
Well, so I think like a good example I always give just there's kind of two things here that we're kind of covering. One is this like focus on the quality content, but then and, and, and be like opinionated. I think like opinionated quality content is really, really important, but it's easy to get get it wrong. And And the way I say that you like don't just create kind of like angry or contrarian content, which, you know, just like you get a reputation in, in, your, in your industry is making sure that you stay brand relevant. And, and the way we do that at Intercom is we see the world through the sort of the lens of our product. And one of the big beliefs in our product is you should never send the same message to everyone in your customer base. Like you should literally, probably the only message you, you want to send to everyone in your customer base, the exact same message is, hey, really sorry, didn't work out, we're shutting down the service. Like, you know what I mean? Like you send the right message to the right people at the right time. Like effective, that's what effective messaging is. And it's never going to be a one size fits all thing. So that is literally the thesis that like we have written probably about 20 blog posts, you know, broadly in this customer engagement sort of uh, bucket about like targeted messaging strategies, how to write good messages, how to make messages relevant to people at the right time. And then that all rolled up into a book called Intercom and Customer Engagement. We have done microsites on the, like the history of like messaging and customer engagement and how people have like customers and businesses have, have interacted. You know that right message, right time, right place belief, which you know I wouldn't necessarily say it's something that no one else in the industry uh, believes in, but we've really given it our our take on that and really I suppose put our mark on it. We did have uh, one post which I would like I was kind of on the fence of, which caused a bit of controversy, but we did the whole like uh, growth hacking is bullshit post. Uh, with our original uh, director of growth and you know definitely on the fence as to maybe that was just a little bit too sort of trying to wind people up but i think at the time it it kind of it was warranted because i think there was you know it was maybe at the peak of like uh, growth hackers as a community and just some people just assumed you know that if you changed the button colors you were like going to be on the you know you're going to be the next stripe or whatever and like we all know that's like patently not the case so you find out the two or three things that are like controversial about you, or at least that you really strongly believe. You talk to the CEO, you talk to customers, you go meet them face to face at trade shows, and you put a name, you put a face. What I like about talking to customers is that you actually put a face to to the people you want to talk to, and they will share with you stuff. They will share with you their problems and whatnot. Yeah. Now, the next step, usually the hurdle is, as you mentioned rightly with your blog post around growth hacking is bullshit. You said there was some controversy. I suppose that internally some people didn't want that to be published, right? Or at least to be diluted down to maybe something a bit softer. How do you, when you start specifically a, a, a content program as a marketer, like in charge of it, how do you convince people around you that, yes, we need to publish those type of posts. We need to take a stand. We need to, to show what we're made of. So I would say the big thing you rely on in the early days in which we relied on is uh, people's egos. So let me explain that a little bit. But like, first off, people get a buzz out of being published. Like it's a little bit scary, but you know, you're putting them out there into the world and then they start to get feedback. So, you know, you want to make sure you are closing all those loops that they are getting that feedback. So, you know, you're like, you know, particularly when maybe I'm just thinking of some examples from, from, from the early days of Intercom, but you know, like our our director of brand design, our director of product design will sit down, write a post. It's, it's, you know, it's probably going to be close to a day, at least a day's worth of work for, for, for him or her. And then they like put it out into the world and like they hear nothing. That's terrible. You know, you want to be pinging them saying, hey, did you see like, you know, this designer over at Google shares your post on Twitter. You want to be like celebrating that in your general channel on Slack you know, or whatever, wherever your company hangs out that you can kind of go, hey, look at this amazing post that Emmett wrote and look at all this feedback it got. So like, make sure like that you celebrate all those successes really, really successfully and really, really openly internally. Another thing that worked really well for us at Intercom was to show that like actually creating content, you know, it's not just a, hey, I wrote a blog post, but hey, I wrote a blog post. And then, you know, maybe I like spoke at one of our meetup events. And from that meetup event, I got an invite to go and speak at a conference. And we made that really clear and, and, and sort of show those connections for people in the company. So people could see that actually, you know, writing a blog post is not something I'm just going to do in the evening. I'm going to like, I'm going to go to my manager and I'm going to ask, can I make it one of my goals for this quarter? And then, you know, luckily at Intercom, because it came from the top, people would agree to that. But people could see that it was like, it was a good investment of their time for the company, but also for themselves. And then there's just little fun things you can do, like, again, going back to people's ego, but just, you know, we used to publish a monthly league table of, like, who the most popular authors were on the blog. 
And, you know, if you can get your like VP of product and your VP of marketing kind of like literally openly competing with each other and saying, hey, I'm going to get write a more popular post than you next month. You know, you're 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 pretty home and hosed at that stage. And I think that it's it's all about like sort of making sure people see that this is not just ticking a box, that it's actually, you know, moving the needle for personal growth, for career development, and it moves the needle for the company as well. Make sure that you also like just show people that like, hey, we got X amount of leads from this activity that we did with content, this book we launched or, you know, this guide we published. Really, really important just to close the loop there. That's really interesting. And yeah, playing people's ego, uh, having this leaderboard, uh, showing them the, the path that it could take them on, that this growth path of publishing a blog post, repurposing that into a slide, like slideshow, getting invited for bigger stuff. Now, that doesn't answer the question originally of that's all well and good, but maybe most of those people writing could very be writing about vanilla stuff that no one really disagree with. So, in the first place of this program, when you're only getting started, you mentioned about the, you know, the topics that are a bit controversial. How do you convince people to take the risk of doing so? Like this, those first few blog posts, those first few podcast episodes, those first few things that are quite risky. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I mean, it's, it's a tough one. All right. You've got to like, try and find that, that champion inside. And I mean, I would, I would say like that at Intercom, you know, I was not there at that time. It, it was Des trainer, you know, and Des. I think he had seen just like, you know, elsewhere in the industry that, that it works, you know, like he, they, both himself and Owen very early on would have seen like people like HubSpot and seen that, wow, there's like, these people are opening up a whole new channel of, of leads by doing content. And and so I think, you know, they didn't have to convince themselves, they saw it, but I think that's, that's how you kind of maybe convince people that this is the way to go. You have to show them other successes, like whether it's peers or, or, or other industries and, and, and show like what it can do for your, for your business. But, you know, I think that the stakes are even probably higher now than, than like seven or eight years ago, because, you know, with, with cancel culture and all that, you know, you're only as good as your worst piece. You know, it used to be a case that people would go, oh, I love the Intercom blog. There's always good stuff there. But like, you know, like most things, internet, like on the Internet these days, now we're kind of judged by our, our crappiest piece. You know, if we, if we do something bad, that, that's what we'd be judged at. And so, you know, people will very quickly stop being readers if they come along and there's like oh i don't really like that stuff you know they've started writing about you know topics i'm less interested in or whatever so you particularly early on i think the the, the stakes are really high that you've got to come out of the the blocks pretty 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 strong you know with 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 something that's going to you know not just grab attention in a very um i suppose you know sensationalist way but that's just going to stand up to scrutiny and that i think people are going to like want to share you know, that's the other great thing about quality content. People do want to be seen sharing good quality content on, on, on social or wherever. So, yeah, and don't don't rush it, I think, as well. You know, uh, a big thing we're seeing, and we kind of touched on this already, is this idea of, like, people, you know, setting up some kind of content program, whether it's a blog or a podcast, uh, and kind of, like, having these crazy, like, oh, we're going to do one every week. But actually, why not, like, do it every month and do 12 over a year, and, like, they'll be much more considered and, you know, you have time to build up maybe search traffic, etc. Versus like, you know, one a week for 12 weeks and then you run out of steam because it's just become a grind and slog to actually get that out every week. And I think you talked about that recently on the show with Hillary Weiss, this whole idea of like shipping constant, consistently and constantly. I mean, it's great to get that feedback, but, but you also have to make sure you're, you know, you have a realistic cadence. And yeah. even, even at Intercom, like we would very much believe in that, you know, that just constantly pushing it out there is, is not going to work. Yeah. So one thing that I think is is important here is is and something I used to to think is yeah let's take our time to publish this piece and then let's take our time to publish this next piece. I believe that if you don't have some sort of consistency, even if it's every month, you tend to like put it off. You don't have necessarily a deadline to work towards, and you are as good as well as the feedback you're getting. So sometimes it's mm. the balance between making sure you ship something so you get actual feedback instead of just keeping it internally like an idiot and <laughs> shipping too fast. Because and, and then it becomes yep. shitty, right? So you talked about it a few minutes ago. You talked about this idea of having a spark, which I very much like. So let's say you contact this, this designer inside Intercom who has something to say, right? Let's say they have something mm -hmm. to say and okay, that's cool. Like what is the decision making, the process there to make sure there is a, a spark there to make sure that, that this content will be shared and it's not going to be yet another co uh, cookie cutter type of content? Like how exactly are you going through this to make sure that it is that it stands out well for us it's very much a case of like looking at like 
what else has been published on the topic. We very much involve people's like, you know, like say it's a designer, they would like get feedback from, we would say like get feedback from from your team. So like there would be engineers, there'd be product managers on their team. Like what what do they think about this? Like, do, do, you know, they worked on the project with you. Do they, they find it's interesting. Like bring it to the other designers, like just like just the same way that there'd be like, reviews of your design work like bring your bring your post as well and like ask people to, to, to give input that way and i mean i think we would apply the same sort of editorial kind of standards and processes that you get pretty much at any publication like we most of my like f- first few hires at, uh, on the content team were all like editors who worked in traditional publications and so it's a lot of just applying those kind of same editorial standards to to what we do at intercom and there's there's been plenty of stuff that just didn't see the light of day over the years. He, like no one saw the stuff that we we canned and just said, "Hey, we're not we're not going to do that." And another thing, though, I think is, is really really important is just like trying to put yourself in your customers' shoes. Like we do share a lot about like you know what we've done at Intercom and what we've learned from our projects, but you always try and figure out like what's relatable from that. Like how can someone else benefit from this? I remember like there was a post a few years back. Gustav's one of our senior designers wrote, which was about like why we chose. Um, why we chose folders rather than tags for for like to organize messages in the product and uh, you know at the time i think like tags were quite like i suppose a bit more trendy in the design product world than folders we went with folders and like you think about that that could have been quite a like a boring very specific post about a product decision in intercom but actually we, we then said okay like let's lift this up a layer and like think about like what about that decision making process that intercom went through could our customers benefit from like what could they learn from like what what could be relatable for their like if they're in a similar similar position and so it, like it, it it was actually quite a quite a positive like a quite a quite a popular post and um, but just as easily as i say could have been like quite an obscure sort of like okay this is the decision making process uh we went through and as i say uh, just just thought about like what what could our customers and potential customers uh find a, of use from this that we process that we went through so you have the Spark and you mentioned these editorial guidelines and the fact that it's pretty natural for you. You have more than 20 years experience in the space about it. You've hired editors as well. But how does it actually look like in, in detail? Like what is the step-by-step editorial process that you have in, my, that you have in Intercom to make sure that you actually publish those content that, that stands out? Can you tell me more about it? Yeah, so I mean, we would people pitch ideas to us, the actual pitch, pitch ideas to the content team. They can email them to us. We have office hours they bring them to us and, and like we will discuss them as a, uh, as a team sometimes or like we'll, we'll get them to discuss them with with their team like it really is a very much almost this like peer review process i think which is really really important that like it's not just like i i've found the posts that have been least successful sometimes when we like look back on it it's like there hasn't been that sort of like input from from a bunch of people and it's kind of been like one person's view of of, of something we've done rather than like the collective knowledge or the collective insight of people from around the company in that discipline. But then it just like, I suppose, in, very practically in terms of like the, the process itself, once, we, once we've like decided, yeah, this is a good idea, there's just a bunch of things, I suppose, that are like quite, quite standard in, in publishing industry. Like, so there's like, there's always two editors see everything and like input into everything. So it's never just one editor works with someone. So you always get that second set of set of eyes and stuff. I think just simple things like just making sure, you know, occasionally, obviously there's typos and stuff, but just making sure like it's as good quality as we can actually what goes out. Cause I think that makes a huge difference that, you know, if something's too long or, it's, you know, not short, you know, you, it's too short that you haven't explored something fully. Uh, ju- just even like simple things like breaking, breaking up uh, articles with like quotes and images and stuff like all the kind of common stuff that, that 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 a publication would do, and I think that's sometimes what what makes things uh, stand out because we see a lot of content. It it does feel rushed out, and it kind of feels like, you know, it hasn't had a good gone through a good editorial process. You know, and we all do that as well, where we find these articles, topics really interesting, but you find yourself skim reading it because I think largely it it hasn't gone through a good editorial process. So you have this massive advantage at Intercom that people actually pitch stuff to you, right? So internally you have hundreds at this yeah. stage of people actually have ideas and shit to share. And I mean, this is incredible, right? And it starts, as you said, from the very top, right? So your CEO from the very start of the company decided that that was part of the culture. How do you uh, advise people who are in a company where the culture, this wasn't part of the culture to start actually 
having that in the culture, having employees pitching ideas when it's not really something they're used to, you know, how do you, how do you convince them to do that? How do you set that up from scratch really? Yeah, I think it goes back to all the things I talked about earlier in terms of like, you know, getting a, getting a couple of quick wins and then really, really like celebrating them. It's like supporting people through the process. Huge thing is like actually, you know, when we had like uh, early on, I made sure that like people who like maybe, you know, as I'd say, like our, our more difficult customers who needed maybe a lot of like handholding to get something out. But like, hey, go and tell the rest of your team that like, this is what we do and and how we support you like and and to this day you know we still have to like kind of do our internal pr that people know what they're going to get if they engage with the content team that they are going to get handheld through and I, like you know I, I i'm constantly sort of like keeping my eyes out and i like encourage the team to as well internally looking for things that we know could become good content so it's like you know i even see like people on twitter kind of sharing something and i'd be like hey did you you, you spoke at that event that like that talk looks really good. Why, why aren't you creating a blog post? You know, like just constantly having this sort of spidey sense of like, what are we creating already that that could become content that we could share with the broader world? There's a lot of like a lot of stuff that gets created internally in companies that like really could be shared. And I think it's just sometimes people, you know, a lot of people still have that mentality of like, you know, sort of information has value like in and of itself. And it doesn't really, it's all about execution. You know, like some of our most popular posts are like actually one post which has been hugely popular and continues to be hugely popular was uh, Paul Adams, our uh, SVP of product, literally wrote a post about our whole product building process from beginning to end. Like, what does a week at Intercom look like in terms of like the rhythm of the week, the meetings we have, like how the product team create the roadmap, the tools they use, and like it really went in depth. And uh, a lot of people were like, "Oh my God! Like, why did you? Why did you guys write that? Why did you share it? Presumably, you're like giving an advantage to your competitors." And it's like, "Well, not really, because you know they've still got to execute against it." And it, like, the ideas are, are 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 not in and of itself what's going to make you work. And actually, you know, by the time it's on the blog, and like this is a kind of a bit of a, a, an internal joke we have sometimes is like, you know, by the time we've gone through the process and written the blog post. We're, those processes are already changing and tweaking and the company's just like grown a bit more and like some of that stuff's broken. So like if our competitors want to go and copy that old shit, great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, they don't have the full context of, of like how we use it or like, you know, what, what the pros and cons of all those things are. But it's like a chef afraid of sharing his recipes and afraid of, of, of writing a, a cookbook. Most of the time, I mean, most popular chefs have written so many fucking cooking book, they know that what matters is the execution and, and maybe a, a bit of the ingredients as well, the quality of the ingredients. So it, if you're afraid of sharing information, obviously we're not talking about proprietary like information that are like, you know, related to your technology and whatnot, but the rest, you should be okay to share it. And as you said, it's all about execution. So um, apart from the stuff you shared so far to actually build a successful content program, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you like to talk about? Well, I think that the one other uh, sort of piece of the strategy at Intercom that I always try and try and impress on people is this idea that we have like an evergreen content strategy, which I think is is you know it's been been anyone who's kind of looked at content marketing these days has probably heard of evergreen, but just this idea of like trying to write about stuff that you know is going to like it's it's a it's a, 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 a recurring problem that people have or a recurring issue that people are going to be like interested in and. Rather than like trying to like do this kind of news jacking or like you know uh, writing about you know news events, which will have a huge amount of like like so my background obviously I worked I worked in news and 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 uh, newspapers in, in in Ireland and like news websites and stuff and like you know news is incredibly spiky you know you'll get like day one you know you'll get a thousand views for something but day two there'll be like two views like literally two like no one is interested in old news. And so that's like, people are attracted by the thousand figure, but they don't realize that actually the half-life of that content is, is, is nothing. You know, like if I write, you know, you know, 10 gifts for product managers this Christmas, you know, January 1st, it's not getting any traffic. And it's probably, you know, there's probably a two week window during the year when it gets traffic. Whereas with Evergreen, you know, you can actually do the same amount of work uh, in terms of like producing the same amount of articles, but the traffic will work out much better. Thomas Tungas, you know, the venture capitalist with Redpoint, he he writes on, on on sales and marketing quite a bit. He he wrote a great post a few years ago about the economics of of an evergreen strategy, 
And he literally looked at like news articles versus evergreen articles, both getting the same, like publishing in the same cadence, 100 page views for each article on the first day for the news article and the evergreen article. But like after a year, when you run the figures, because the evergreen content doesn't decay as quickly because it gets page views weeks and months after it's published, um, that you like 3x the traffic from an evergreen strategy. And that's absolutely been our experience. I mean, that, that post I uh, talked about that Paul Adams wrote about how we ship software, that, that continues to get like a couple of hundred page views a month, uh, e even now. And it's like probably four, four years old at this stage. Um, so I think, you know, that's how you make sure like investments in content are expensive, like, because a large part of it is you're either hiring like people like me, or you're like going to like marketing content marketing agency or, you know, uh, like hiring free contractors, like content will not be cheap. It takes time to spin up. But if you go down the evergreen route, it will continue to pay off. It's, as I said, it's very different to, to other forms of marketing in that regard. Like once you you know, you can stop investing in, in new stuff, but the old stuff will continue to deliver for you. And I think that's, I'm, I, I don't know any other type of marketing that you can say that about. Yeah. And in fact, this podcast is also an example of evergreen content. All of the episodes, I'm trying to make sure I never mention anything that are related to like news or whatever, uh, that all episodes can still be listened to today. It's still be relevant. Uh, and that's exactly the strategy. So thanks for mentioning that. I should have also asked you that, but yes, evergreen all the way, what are the problems that people suffer from that will still suffer from in, you know, five, 10 years, 50 years. And in fact, it's a good segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you, John. And by the way, thanks for mm -hmm. going through all of that and sharing your knowledge and, and the mistake you made, lesson you learned. Um, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next five years, 10 years, 50 years? I think just be very open-minded and be very just like having that growth mindset. I know it sounds a bit of a, a cliche, but it's, it's it's hard to know what will and will not you know sort of land in terms of like very specific tactics or trends or technologies. But I do think like just having that open open-minded uh, growth sort of mindset is 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 the key. Um, you know, as I said, I worked in in media for for twenty years, and actually, I think like the media industry is so sort of battered and and you know having to produce more and more with less and less resources that you know it's quite hard to have that kind of mindset and what i love about like having made the transition to like what was a startup but is now like a kind of a like a scaling software company is that like you constantly get to try new things and, and learn new things and do new things you know in 2015 we launched a, a branded podcast it was like let's do 10 episodes and just see you know has anyone any interest in a podcast from a brand because like there wasn't that many people doing it at the time and guess what they did and so we doubled down and invested in that and so like you know i think it's just having that like experimental mindset and openness to to, to new things and, and like really just figuring out like going where your audience is because like you know that that's what the podcast was all about for us it was like actually it's a very similar kind of content to what we say do in our blog or in our books or guides but it's actually just tweaking it so it can be consumed in that format and so people can listen to it you know when they're commuting or at the gym or wherever it might be so that's i think that's huge i think it'll be even bigger for people as we move forward like the, the playbooks old playbooks don't work anymore and i think the like tactics get recycled like you know the, the 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 length of period that they are effective for is getting less and less like you're constantly having to try and reinvent yourself and come up with new things agreed uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, what are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners? So it could be anything from podcasts, books, conferences, software, whatever. For marketers at the, at the moment? Yeah. Oh, top three top three resources. I mean, I'm pretty old school. I still, uh, Twitter, I find, uh, you know, I have my have my little lists in Twitter uh, that I'll, I'll jump into for different topics and, and just see like what discussions are, are going on there. You know, am I allowed to mention rival podcasts? Absolutely, go ahead. <laughs> but I, I do enjoy the uh, the growth TLDR. How dare you? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I obviously enjoy everyone hates marketers, but you know, there's there's just some very very interesting stuff going on in marketing at the moment as well. So I try and like I always try and like read some mainstream, you know, not tech industry focused stuff. So things like the drum. Uh, which is great just to find out generally what's going on in marketing beyond this sort of like, you know, world of, of tech and SaaS that, that I'm very much in and trying like, I think that's where a lot of the spark ideas come from, like seeing what people are doing in, in, in other sectors and getting, getting a sense, getting a sense of that. And you waited 53 minutes to say that, right? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. To me, that's 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 also a key point, right? Like, get out of your own bubble. All of the tools built out there, like social media tools, are there to make sure that you stay in the bubble. Fuck that. Let's try to get out of it actively. I personally like to go to subreddits that I disagree with and just read mm-hmm. the shit they they write. Because actually, <laughs> you see something, you see a mirror image of like it's the actual opposite point of view, and it makes sense as well. It's crazy when you start like really reaching out to people who who you actually don't agree with from the start. So yeah, the drum, there's plenty of publications that are outside of tech and SaaS. So if you're in tech and SaaS in particular, I think it's extremely, I, I'm not going to use the term incest because that's very bad. But <laughs> it's like we are getting insular, in stage, insular, I think is the yeah, word. You're looking a, a for. Very, very insular type of culture. And yeah, get out of it. I would agree with you, John. So thanks so much for sharing all your wisdom with us today. It means a lot. Uh, where can people, you know, connect with you and learn more from you? Okay, so well, I'm on LinkedIn, which is a great place if you just want to like connect there. I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to accept connections, uh, but I am pretty active on Twitter, and I'm kind of an old school internet guy, so I'm JC J A Y C E E zero zero one on uh, on Twitter. The first one. All right, John. Once again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Louis. It was great being on the show. That's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests and perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again, and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.